Well, parents, uh, if there is one piece of cake left and you have two kids who want that piece of cake, what do you do? Ah, cut it in half is a good answer, but you know, half can, half can look different depending on who's doing the cutting, right? So the best solution I've ever heard to this problem is you ask one kid to cut the cake and then the other kid gets to choose which piece of cake he gets. So I think that's just genius because what happens is the kid with the knife gets out his protractor uh, to be sure that he's cutting this at a perfect angle so that he doesn't get gypped out of any molecule of cake, right? So uh, that is, I just think that's a genius solution. And why, why do we do that? Well, it's because we don't want to miss out on anything, right? And, and we do tend to think about ourselves first. We want the biggest piece of cake. We're selfish. We're always going to choose the biggest piece if left to our own devices. Uh, and that's why Paul uh, used this passage and uh, next week's passage as well to talk about what agape love looks like, uh, how it is that we uh, extend this love that, that God has loved us with and, and shower it on others. Uh, so that is what Christian discipleship looks like. So love is not a word that we throw around loosely. Uh, and oftentimes we do see it used very loosely in our culture, but, but love is expensive. Uh, true love actually uh, has a cost associated with it because it puts others first and it doesn't show self-interest. It, it is more interested in, in you than it is in me. Uh, so as far as we know, uh, the Apostle Paul was never married, but he sure knew a lot about love, didn't he? He penned the most poetic, uh, the most poignant words on love ever written uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He said, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, it does not brag and is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it doesn't seek its own, it's not provoked, it doesn't take into account wrong suffered, it doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, those are, those are amazing words uh, describing love. But if you look closely, it's not defining love, right? It talks about what love looks like, not what love is. Because love is such a hard word to define. How do you define something so intangible as love, right? There are, there are different aspects to it. We love different people and different things differently. And if I asked you to define love, you might say, I, I just, I really can't put it into words. I can feel it. I know what it is because I feel it, but I just can't define it. And so what we see in this 1 Corinthians passage, it's on the screen, and in Romans 12, uh, 9 through 13, that love is not so much defined by words as it is demonstrated by action. Uh, and so that's what we want to see today. A true, li a true love is seen uh, in what love does uh, as much as, as anything else. It's a life poured out for the benefit of others. <clears throat> now, We've spent the last few weeks drilling down into what it means uh, to be a living sacrifice. In view of God's mercies, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Paul told us that in verses 1 and 2. What do we do? We present or offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And, and how do we do it? Well, we do it by being uh, transformed by the renewing of our minds. Uh, and so the way to be transformed is by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we will serve the body. And we do that, the way we do it is according to our gifting, as we talked about last week. And love is the reason we do this. We do this because we love the body of Christ. 
And so what we're seeing uh, both this week and next week is the ultimate expression of Christian love as, as best as we can do as human beings, right? Jesus gave the ultimate expression of love, dying on the cross for our sins. But the, the best we can do as human beings is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God by serving the body of Christ. And so uh, there are uh, two commands here. Uh, first, to let love be without hypocrisy. And second, to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And then there are going to be seven ways uh, that Paul said to do these things. Uh, so let's just read the passage again, and we'll dive into it. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. So this first command, let love be without hypocrisy. Well, what is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is, is pretending to be something that we're not. Uh, in Jesus' day, uh, the word hypocrisy meant to be a play actor, somebody who wears different masks on stage, depending on either the character they're playing or the emotion that they wanted to convey from that character. And then the usage of the word extended out of the theater and into regular life to characterize an insincere person, somebody who was play acting instead of being authentic. And eventually, uh, we got the word two-faced from this, right? From these, these different masks that became part of our language. And a two-faced person is someone who acts one way in front of you, but then when your back is turned or when you're not present, uh, they talk behind your back or they plot against you or something like that. So to apply this hypocrisy to our passage about love, Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. True love and hypocrisy are incompatible. You can't have them both. It's impossible for them to both exist at the same time. You either truly love somebody with agape love, which means that I desire your greatest good, or you love them hypocritically, meaning that you have, you have an agenda, a hidden agenda of some kind, or you want to put yourself above that, that other person somehow. But, but agape love says, I desire the greatest good for you. Uh, and, but love with hypocrisy, on the other hand, uh, doesn't want the same thing. Uh, love uh, tainted with hypocrisy is a pretending kind of love. And so uh, to love with, without hypocrisy means that I want your greatest good all the time. We've recently seen a very difficult example uh, in the Christian world about what hypocrisy looks like. Uh, you all know about the recent scandal involving Ravi Zacharias, which is so painful to all of us who have been Christians for a while. He led Ravi Zacharias International uh, Ministries for years as an apologist, an evangelist, uh, you know, sold millions in materials and books and, and was a sought-after speaker worldwide, uh, giving uh, the gospel and, and reasoning, uh, uh, telling people why Christian faith is reasonable, uh, and even leading them to Christ. Uh, but still, Ravi had a dark secret. Uh, while uh, he was doing this ministry uh, on the side, uh, he would frequent massage parlors that he either owned 
uh, or, uh, or just visited while he traveled. Uh, and he was engaging in sexual sin in those massage parlors. And uh, you know, Ravi is an example of somebody who, who was so big, he had no accountability to anyone. And he was able to use company funds plus his own influence and power to escape detection for many years. And it was only after he died uh, that all of this came out. The women that he assaulted started to speak out uh, and the truth became known. So he's pretending to love his wife, he's pretending to love the church, and he's leading a double life. He used his power and position uh, to engage in this kind of activity. And so he's, he's got two faces, right? On the one hand, a very famous uh, apologist, evangelist, uh, held to the highest, uh, held in highest esteem by the Christian world. And on the other side, the other face, uh, an abuser and an adulterer and how damaging it is uh, to pretend to be one thing and then turn out to be another. Uh, the unbelieving world loves a good sexual scandal in the church, don't they? Uh, and we know why, because we as Christians tend to hold ourselves out as holier than thou. And then when we fall, well, and we look just like the world, well, the world is vindicated while the church suffers. Uh, and as it turns out, far too often, we look more like the world uh, than we look like Christ. And so we're stained by sin. We're, we're hypocrites. We're wearing a mask uh, rather than being our authentic selves. And Ravi Zacharias is a warning to all of us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And, and none of us uh, can do without accountability. And none of us can do uh, without the power of the Holy Spirit ruling our daily lives. Uh, so we need to learn from Ravi Zacharias that we need to daily abide in the Holy Spirit because if it can happen to him, it can happen to us. So hypocrisy, pretending to be something you're not. Uh, why do we need this warning against hypocrisy? Well, because we're all prone to it, right? We're all prone to hypocrisy. Love must be sincere. Uh, the Greek word uh, for uh, without hypocrisy is anapokritos, which means uh, without hypocrisy. It's the opposite of hypocrisy, which means uh, that, they're, that it's tainted with uh, some kind of uh, pretense. So love without hypocrisy means without pretense, uh, sincere. And you know, if we're all being honest with ourselves, uh, which is what this message is about, being honest with ourselves and with each other, uh, we all wear a mask to a certain degree, right? Uh, and this is especially true when we're amongst ourselves, when we're with each other. Sometimes even on Sunday morning, uh, we come to church looking great. Uh, we, we all appear to have our act together. Uh, and, and sometimes uh, that belies what's underneath, right? If somebody says, how are you doing? Uh, we may say, doing fine. I, you know, we typically do say that, even though we may be hurting or broken. Uh, and we don't want to tell other people why we're hurting and broken because we're afraid of how we're going to look to that other person if we admit that we have something going on in our lives, that people might think less of us as Christians somehow if we have something going on in our lives, that we're struggling with some sin. Uh, and we all do that. I'm not singling anyone out. Uh, but we all wear a mask to some degree. And then there's the hypocrisy of the person who's actually asking the question, right? How are you doing? Fine. That's what we expect, right? But what happens if that person starts to dump the truck, right, on, of what's going on in their lives, you know? Do we really care when we ask the question, or are we just being polite? Well, you can tell within about 30 seconds of, of dumping the truck, right? Their eyes start to glaze over, and you can see them trying to figure out how to get out of the conversation. 
We oughtn't be like that. If, if, we're, if we're going to be our authentic Christian selves and love each other with the highest love, uh, we need to, uh, when we ask how are you doing, be prepared that, that this brother or sister may have something that they want to talk about. And, and we should be there uh, listening uh, to each other's heartache, genuinely caring about what is going on in that person's life. Well, that's just hypocrisy on a, on a low-scale basis relative to uh, Judas, for example. Uh, Judas was the greatest hypocrite the church has ever known, right? Uh, for three years, he followed Jesus, pretending to be a disciple, uh, heard everything that Jesus ever said. But Judas had an agenda, right? His love was not unconditional. Uh, Judas loved Jesus for what he could get from Jesus. He expected Jesus to overthrow the Roman Empire, and then Judas was going to be there to get a high place in Jesus' cabinet, in his new government. And when Jesus did not raise an army to overthrow the government, uh, Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Now that is the ultimate treachery, the ultimate hypocrisy. Our love for each other should be pure, unadulterated, without the slightest tinge of self-interest. And that's a very high bar. So what does this kind of love look like? What does love like without hypocrisy look like? Well, it looks like Jesus, plain and simple, right? Uh, Jesus constantly called out the scribes and the Pharisees because they were holding themselves out one way, uh, super pious, uh, like they never did anything wrong, like their lives were perfect, but everything they did was for appearances so that they might receive the praise of men. And Jesus said of them in Matthew 23, all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and they do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. They loved hypocritically, pretending to help uh, and, and acting like they wanted to lead God's people, but it was all a show. All they wanted was power and position and the praise of men. Now, Jesus, of course, is the true measure of this kind of agape love, uh, sincere, without pretense, always putting the other first. And we know that because he said it. He said he loved God. He said he loved others. But then he proved it. He proved his love by what he did. Uh, in the greatest uh, act of self-sacrifice ever done, uh, he obeyed the Father and he went to the cross, dying in our place uh, so that we could avoid eternal punishment by believing in him. That's someone who loves without hypocrisy, without anything in it for him, uh, but with everything in it for us. Uh, true love, sacrificial love, always does for the other person without regard for himself. And so the standard is Jesus. And now we offer up ourselves as living sacrifices uh, by giving 100% of ourselves to the best that we can uh, in our love and sacrifice to others. Now, none of us can possibly achieve that bar, right? We understand that. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't at least aim for it. We should aim for the bar. We should have a target in mind at least. We will not love perfectly. Our love will be imperfect. But let's not settle for weak, impotent, hypocritical love. Let's hold ourselves up to Jesus' standards. And when we fall, which surely we will, let's always remember that there's grace. God 
gives us grace. Jesus died on the cross for our sins because of grace. There is always grace for us. Uh, So God knows that we have physical limitations. He knows that we have time constrictions. He knows we won't do it perfectly, but that doesn't let us off the hook from at least uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, doing the best we can to love others without hypocrisy. So that's the first thing that Paul talks about. Let love be without hypocrisy. And the second thing he says is to uh, abhor evil and cling to good. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. We have to distinguish between good and evil. It's something that we have to do. We are called to judge such things. Uh, it's, It's perfectly consistent with God's character. There is not a trace of evil in God. God is all good. He's all good all the time. And that's why love abhors evil and it clings to what is good. Now, many of your translations uh, that we read uh, say hate what is evil, and that's a perfectly fine translation. But the Greek word for abhor actually is a stronger word even than the word hate. Uh, It means vehement dislike or, or to hate something strongly Uh, abhorrence for evil is completely consistent uh, with God's character, and there's nothing inconsistent with hating the things that God hates. Uh, The more we love, the more we will hate anything that is opposed to that love. I love Molly, I love my kids, uh, and I oppose with, with great uh, with, with great zeal, anything that opposes Molly and the kids, right? I, I love them dearly. I abhor anyone or anything that opposes them. I love Jesus and I love the word of God and I abhor any challenge to Jesus's deity or his sacrificial death on the cross or uh, the, the inerrant word of scripture. Uh, and that's why we have no room for compromise, brothers and sisters, about the core doctrines of the Christian faith. We hold to the inerrancy of scripture and the eternality of Jesus and the deity of Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross so that we might live, uh, his second coming. The human condition is such that we cannot save ourselves. We are under God's wrath for sin and only Christ's death on the cross uh, can deal with that sin problem. So we abhor any attacks on that just like we would abhor any attacks on our wives or our children. Now, our culture today does not hate what is evil. Our culture more and more calls what is evil good. And we just can't have room in our lives for that. We can't compromise on these things. The the current climate uh, demands that we celebrate and tolerate things that God says are evil. And that includes both against the word of God, talking about heresy and talking about our conduct, talking about immorality as well. We must abhor what is evil. But let's just be sure that we are walking the talk. And that's why the second half of the statement is so important. Abhor evil, cling to what is good. Uh, Paul talked about what is good in Philippians chapter four. He said this, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So that's a pretty good definition, a pretty good list of things that are good. And so we need to cling to these things. Uh, The word for cling in our passage means uh, to glue together or join together. Uh, Jesus used the same word in Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined or, or cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
So like Adam and Eve became one flesh, we are to be joined, to cleave to what is good by gluing ourselves to it. And so that means in our private lives, we dwell on the things that Paul talked about. We become uh, one with those things by gluing ourselves to them. And we practice what is good. We love with sincerity. We love without pretense. We love for the greatest good uh, of our brothers and sisters, and we hate evil. And so if we hold ourselves out uh, in public as Christians, we must be sure that our private lives, what we're doing behind closed doors, matches the way we profess to be as Christians. Uh, So in private, we cling to what is good, and then we take that uh, outside to the world. We cling to him because he is good. All right, so we have two general principles. Let love be without hypocrisy, hate evil, cling to what is good. And so now, with those two principles stated, uh, Paul talks about specific ways uh, that we can uh, manifest Christian love. And this is where Paul described exactly how a Christian is to behave toward his brother and sister. Uh, And I've pulled out seven of them. Uh, You can divide this and, and come up with many more, but I chose seven of them because what we're doing here is showing what agape love looks like in action. And the first one is is verse 10, to be devoted to each other, uh, to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, to give preference to one another in honor. Now, this word devoted means to love dearly, to cherish dearly. It's from the Greek word uh, philostorges, which which means uh, family affection, a love that a family has for each other. And so we could translate the verse, have brotherly love and family affection to one another, giving each other honor above themselves. Remember, uh, when Jesus was, was talking to a room full of people and his mother and brothers were outside the door, uh, his friends said, your mother and your brothers are outside the door. And Jesus said, who are my mothers and brothers? And he looked around at all the folks and he said, those who do the will of God, these are my mothers, my mother and my brothers and my sisters. And so uh, what Jesus is saying that our family bonds are those who are believers in Jesus Christ. And Sometimes we have family members who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And and what we're learning here is that our bonds, the bonds of this body of believers, are stronger than even family bonds because these are the bonds that are going to last into eternity. I will see all of you, every one of you, I pray, in heaven someday. Uh, That may not be so of our families. Uh, So we're to, to take this love that we love our families with and love the body of Christ with this love. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul said, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And that's the idea of this verse, to, to give others preference uh, far above yourselves. That means we honor each other higher than we honor ourselves, that we neglect our own needs and, and put others above ourselves. So we're devoted to one another. Uh, we love with zeal, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Remember in In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus talked about uh, the the church at Laodicea, how he would spit them out of his mouth for their lukewarmness. And that's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants our passion. He wants us to care deeply for each other and show it in what we do. He wants our full-fledged commitment to the cause of loving one another. 
Now, the Greek word for diligence is spude. It means to act swiftly, uh, decisively, with haste, with earnest commitment to, to discharge an obligation. Uh, that's what he's talking about. To, to, to be devoted to another uh, with spude means that we uh, immediately, uh, without hesitation, without thinking about ourselves, we go and meet the needs of others spontaneously. Uh, the word for fervent means boiling. So uh, this is not a lukewarm love. This is a hot love. This is an on-fire love and desire to serve the Lord. If your child walks out into the middle of the street, a very busy street, and there's oncoming traffic rushing in either direction, you don't take a second to hesitate, right? You dive out into the street, you grab your daughter or son by her arm and pull them out, out of traffic, right? Without hesitation, with great zeal, I'm sure. Uh, this is to be our mindset. We love without hesitation, holding nothing back. Uh, we're all in in our love for each other and in our service to God. So devotion, zeal, rejoicing in hope. Uh, Paul encouraged his readers to never lose sight of this hope uh, that they had in future rewards and in the comforts uh, that God has promised us. And this will help us to persevere in tribulation. Uh, the NEB translation says, let hope keep you joyful. And I think that's a great way to talk about it. Uh, hope means that we are waiting for something with absolute certainty that it's going to happen. Like we know uh, that God is faithful even more than we know that the sun will come up tomorrow. And we know that we will be in heaven and we know that Jesus will come again. And, and that means that our time on earth, no matter what we have left, uh, it's so short compared to eternity that waits for us. And it also means that all the troubles of this world, the cancer, the wars, uh, the hackers, the murderers, all this is coming to an end. And what we have to look forward to is eternity with him. And if that doesn't give us hope, well, we haven't understood what is waiting for us in heaven. So soon and very soon, we will be with Jesus. And that's a cause for us to be always rejoicing. And I think you know from personal experience, it's so much easier to love people when you have a heart full of joy that's rejoicing and you can overflow with that joy and spill that onto others. Whereas a heart that is not joyful, uh, full of dread and worry, that, that's a heart that has a hard time giving love to others. So we look for opportunities to serve others uh, who have need. And if we rejoice in hope, uh, we will certainly be a blessing to others. We can't help but do that. Next is persevering in tribulation. We're going to have tribulation, right? Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Our culture now, uh, even our own government, uh, is much less tolerant of Christians because they perceive us to be bigoted hate mongers. That is the way we are viewed by our culture. We have antichrists, not the antichrist, but people who are opposed to God, dominating every level of society. Now they're in government and they control the media and they control social media. And so what is going to happen to us? Obviously, persecution against us is going to increase. We know that this is going to happen, so we'd best be ready for it. Uh, we are going to face this persecution. We can't get around it and we need to be prepared, but because of the certain hope that we have. We can persevere through anything. We can rejoice and have tribulation because what we said earlier, we know where we're going. And even if life is hard here for a time, heaven awaits face to face with our Lord and Savior. That's what we have in front of us. So persevere in tribulation. Devoted to prayer is the next one. 
Uh, brothers and sisters, prayer works. I know that you know that. Prayer works. It is effective. It's the great vehicle that helps us to overcome the tribulation that we are going to face in this world and help us to get through it. Now, uh, many of you probably wonder, how does an unbeliever get through life's difficulties, even a day? How does an unbeliever get through a single day without the hope of salvation? Well, I can tell you, as a previous unbeliever, that uh, it's not necessarily that, that unbelievers are hostile to God. It's just that God is not part of their calculus at all. They haven't thought about God deeply. They haven't received his love. And so when they're strategizing about how to overcome a problem, God's just not part of how they do it. That's not part of, of, of the tools in the tool shed uh, that they use. Uh, unbelievers go it alone because that's all they know. But when we know God, when we have a saving relationship with God, well, that changes everything. Now uh, we can go to God directly with our anguish, just like David in all those Psalms, pouring out his heart before the Lord. We can do that too. And we can talk about uh, all the evil and the hatred that's in the world and, and even all the things that are happening to us in our personal suffering. We can talk to God about all that's wrong in the world and we pray that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer can get us through anything because we serve an, an omnipotent and, and a loving God who loves us enough to send his son to die for us. And he can handle our concerns and our doubts and our complaints. He can handle all of that. And so it's a mark of Christian love and Christian maturity that we are in prayer, praying for each other and not just ourselves. Uh, we can use Jesus's prayer uh, in John chapter 17 as a model. He prayed for himself. Uh, Lord, return me, restore me to the glory that I had before the world was. But then he prayed for his apostles who were not going to be taken out of the world. They were going to be in the world. Pray for them, for what is coming upon them. And then he prayed for those who would believe through his apostles' message. That's you and me, isn't it? Down through the centuries, we believe because the apostles preached the good news of the gospel. And so this is a model of prayer that, that Jesus showed us how to lift each other up even in suffering, lift each other up before the Lord, praying to God even uh, in our suffering. All right, generosity, uh, verse 13. This is an important one because it shows really the treasure of our hearts, where the treasure of our hearts are. Uh, we know from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, do not store up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy, but where thieves break in and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is there, your heart is also. And Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So generosity with our money is one of the true tests of whether uh, we are really loving our brothers and sisters and serving them. Uh, a lot of the other things that I mentioned doesn't cost anything material, right? Uh, we can pray for others. We can be devoted to others in love. But now we're talking about our money, uh, where we find our security, sometimes in our bank accounts and in our wallets. And so generosity is expensive. It might take a bite out of the things that we place our security in. But the early church figured out a way to combat this, right? We read about them in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. 
So give generously to the saints uh, when they have need. It won't kill us to give a few dollars extra even to the waitress. And it certainly won't kill us to give the bigger piece of cake to our brothers and sisters. Uh, so be generous to one another. And lastly, hospitality. Uh, if generosity is giving to the needy, hospitality is showing kindness to strangers, uh, visitors. Uh, the Greek word for hospitality is the word philoxenia. Philo means love, xenia means strangers, so love of strangers. Just as we are to love the community of brothers and sisters in Christ, so we are to love strangers as well. And it may be easier to be generous and hospitable to people we know and, and harder, perhaps, to, to people we don't know. Uh, but we're supposed to do that as well. We're, we're called to hospitality. And that means not only offering up our homes to maybe a missionary who's passing through, but also uh, taking care of the missionaries that we as, a, as Grace Redeemer Church support in the field to be sure that they uh, have adequate food and shelter uh, because we want them to be busy proclaiming the good news rather than worrying about food and shelter. You know, the only other place where this word philoxenia is used <clears throat> is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without even knowing it. And so uh, what is the writer of Hebrews referring to? Of course, Genesis chapter 18, where the three uh, angels visited our, uh, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, so be hospitable. You just never know who you might be entertaining. So to recap, uh, Paul's two commands. First, uh, love without hypocrisy. Second, abhor what is evil, hate I'm sorry, abhor, yeah, abhor what is evil, hate what is, or cling to what is good. And then the seven ways to uh, do those things. Be devoted to one another, be zealous, rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation, be devoted to one another, be generous, show hospitality. All right, those are the things we're supposed to do. Now, what is it that gets in our way? A lot of things get in our way, right? So let's think about ways that we can actually show this kind of love to one another. And the first one I think is this, that we need to learn to be fearless. Fear is at least one of the emotions that, that stops us from being all that Paul described in these verses because true love comes with high risk, right? People can hurt us deeply. The more vulnerable we are with them, the, the greater risk there is that we might be hurt. Uh, we might be rejected. We might get our hearts broken if we uh, love like this. Uh, it happens from people we trust dearly. They're the ones who tend to hurt us the most. And if we're generous with people, well, maybe they'll squander our generosity. Uh, so it can be painful. Love can be very painful. Uh, but the reason that we love so fearlessly despite the risk is because that is how Jesus loved us. He came to his own, but his own knew him not. They rejected him and they nailed him to a cross where he died for our sins. But that's what was necessary for him uh, to offer himself as a sacrifice so that we can be saved. That's the length and the breadth of the love of our Savior. And so let's not be afraid to let our guard down and love each other like Jesus loved us as best we can. We need to learn to be fearless uh, to not be afraid of the risk involved. And the second thing is we need to be passionate. God wants us to be as passionate about people as he is about people. The Great Commission is to go 
and make disciples, right? That requires action on our part. We have to be passionate about people to do that. Disciple making happens in relationship over time. So it's an investment. It costs us something. Uh, but it happens when we love each other with Christ's love. We put other people above ourselves. We seek their greatest good and we zealously proclaim our hope even in times of tribulation. Passionate people attract other people, don't they? We want to know what they're passionate about. And so we want to we get in to, to see what it is that they are caring so much about. And so uh, we, we convince others about the truth of our message when we are passionate about it, when we care about it, and it's obvious that it's important to us. God can do a lot with a few passionate people, right? Look what God did with the 12 apostles, uh, turning it into the church worldwide. So after last week, you ought to know what your spiritual gifts are. I pray that you all went home, took the spiritual gift test. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, now you know them. So uh, pursue them uh, and use them for God's kingdom and do it with passion. And finally, be fearless, be passionate, be real. No one likes a phony, right? No one likes a phony. Sooner or later, our phoniness will be found out. We might fool some people for a while, but we won't fool people indefinitely. Uh, Jesus repeatedly called out the Pharisees for being phonies. Uh, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this is evil. He said, take the plank out of your own eye before you try to remove the speck from your brother's eye, right? He's talking about people who are wearing a mask, people who are hypocrites. So, brothers and sisters, let's all trust each other enough to be real, uh, to love each other. Let's not pretend that our lives are perfect, that we have no problems, right? We all know that that's not true. We all have problems. We all have things that are difficult for us. None of us has it all together. So why pretend? Why put on a mask? Be fearless. Be passionate. Be real. And then our love will look like Christ's love. Amen. Lord God, we thank you uh, for your word. It is so powerful. And, and Lord, when we read it and study it, it just cuts us because we know that we are not all that you would have us to be, Lord. And, and it's because we tend to love ourselves more than others. Lord, help us to love without hypocrisy. Help us to abhor what is evil. Help us to cling to what is good, Lord. And help us to live out these commands that you have given us. Lord, I pray for each and every member of this body. Uh, we all are carrying some burden, Lord. I pray for every single person here who's carrying a burden, that they would have somebody that they feel comfortable sharing it with. And Lord, that the person that they shares it with would love them with, with great love, uh, the love that Jesus has for us. Lord, help us be this in the church. If we can't be real here, where can we be real? Lord, we pray these things, that we would look more like you. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.